I've joked when speaking at mainline Protestant congregations and stuff. I said, well, if you could all open your sacred text. Uh, oh, there was only two people brought the New York Times this morning. Well, I guess you could read the Bible. <laughs> Welcome to the Depolarized Podcast. I'm Dan Koch. And I'm Ellen Morrow. And this is a show where, of course, we search for common ground at the intersection of faith, politics, and psychology. This week and next, we are talking about liberal mainline Protestants, who are a subset of that fourth and final group, non-evangelical Christian voters. Now, before we get into it, you might remember something that Brandon Schumann said. He was one of our 19 percenters, our white evangelical non-Trump supporters. He's a worship pastor at a Baptist megachurch up here in Seattle. And when talking about the liberal church or people leaving evangelicalism, this is what he had to say. A lot of my friends have distanced themselves from evangelicism for some of the reasons that we've talked about. But I what I'm seeing, though, is I like I'm not seeing them land anywhere. I'm not seeing a honestly, a non-evangelical option that's actually helping people grow in Christ. I'm just seeing people walk away from evangelicism and in in that kind of walking away from accountability, walking away from community, walking away from um, a lot. It's just more of a, well, I don't really know, so I'm leaving. You remember that quote? Yeah. No. You don't remember that? I don't remember <laughs> no, you, that quote. You started by saying, yeah, but you don't. I'm agreeable. Okay, I don't remember well, that quote. Well, anyway, it did happen. <laughs> this is the second time we've played it. We have proof. And for Brandon, if you remember that context, which obviously you don't, Ellen, but if anyone listening does, this led him to say, I want to reform. I want to be a part of making the evangelical movement better, which makes sense, right? Because right. for Brandon, people are not really landing anywhere else in his experience. He didn't see people landing in other traditions other than evangelicalism also known as evangelicism, as he calls it, which are interchangeable terms. He didn't see people landing in the Methodist church, landing in the Episcopal church, becoming Catholic. He just saw people kind of drifting away from the faith. That's his experience. But as I'm sure Brandon would readily admit, just because he doesn't see something happening, of course, does not mean it's not happening. Right. right. Especially because he's only seeing what's happening in his own church. Yeah. So he's, since he's a pastor, he's, he's limited a bit, but also he's talking about his friend group and he's, you know, mid thirties, he's our age, he's Northwest guy. And that might be kind of what's happening up here. It might be what's happening all over America, but it's obviously not the only thing that's happening. So some former evangelicals are in fact finding new homes outside of evangelicalism. And today we're going to consider one such alternative, the liberal mainline Protestant church. What does that mean, Dan? Yeah, I was going to say, Helen. <laughs> I ask these questions for me, not for anybody else. So let's, let's break that term down in reverse order. So church just means it is a part of the Christian church, the global Christian church. Protestant, you know, you're with not me Catholic. here. Not Catholic. Well, yeah, broke off from Catholics in the 16th century. Protestants are basically differentiated from Catholics and Orthodox by not having a Pope or a head Bishop. And of course they focus more on scripture and less on sort of church bureaucracy. And then there's a, a million, there's literally, I think 40,000 Protestant denominations, but they have those things in common. And then mainline. Okay. This is a term where now we're starting to maybe now we're learning, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm looking at you like this because I think I don't know the difference between mainline and mainstream. Yeah. So mainline is a reference to basically the big major denominations that in the middle of the 20th century in America sort of made up, I don't know, kind of like the main church structure and actually kind of the main civic structure of American life. So the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, these are the years, the boom years for Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, Baptists, Episcopals, a lot of Baptists. Yeah. And those years are before the kind of Southern Baptist conglomeration that we have now, which we're going to hear a little bit from one of our guests about that. So mainline in mid-century America is not Catholic, not Orthodox, and not non-denominational. It's like these kind of big denominations with central authorities, Presbyterianism, et cetera, okay. right? right? So that's what mainline it. means. Okay. And then liberal means, in this case, so mainline churches have mostly split down the middle, each of them. And it's over basically progressive Christianity or more traditional orthodoxy. So the liberal mainline denominations basically affirm gay marriage Mm -hmm. and ordain homosexuals as pastors. And uh, often there's some other kind of more progressive theology along with that. So Anglicanism and Episcopalianism in America are now different. The Episcopal Church ordains homosexuals and has a more liberal view of scripture. The Anglican Church does not, has a more conservative view of scripture. So liberal, mainline, Protestant church. We got it? Yep. Great. So just examples of the names of churches that might be liberal mainline. Methodists, some Lutherans, some Presbyterians, Episcopalians, some Baptists, not Southern Baptists. United Church of Christ, African Methodist Episcopal, also known as AME, which is the church you where... You list like 20,000. No, it's the last one. Okay. <laughs> AME, which is a church where Dylan Roof shot people. That's an African Methodist Episcopal. That's a mainline, liberal mainline Protestant church. Okay. So I was thinking about this episode because I did decide to split off the liberal mainliners from the rest of the non-evangelical Christians, which is our, our fourth and final voting group. So... Two episodes from now, we're going to hear from a Mennonite, a Catholic, and an Orthodox priest. And, and That's yes, so I am. Awesome. And yes, I am trying to figure out how to title that and make it sound like a joke. Walk into a bar, walk into a podcast, right. or something like All that. All right. <laughs> Low hanging fruit. But I was asking myself, like, what is it that I hope a listener would take away from hearing these episodes? And I think at the most basic level, having grown up evangelical, they exist and you do not need to be afraid of them. That's what I want people to take away. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's fair. Liberal mainline Protestants exist. They are in the world and you don't need to be afraid of them. Now, you might disagree with them. That's fine. I hope no one's afraid of them. I grew up to be afraid of liberal Christians, for sure, undeniably. And it took me many, many years very slowly going, oh, okay, these people love God. Yeah, well, you were also afraid of the wind, so. (laughs) Thunder. Okay, don't, don't pull any punches here. But basically, I was raised to believe that liberal Christians do not take the Bible seriously. They don't take Jesus seriously. They pick and choose which parts of the Bible that they want to believe. That's what I was raised to think. And Until I no longer, you became one. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fairly close to a liberal mainliner, but we don't actually go to a liberal mainline church. So I no longer believe that that's true. About I don't think that they just pick and choose. I don't think they don't take Bible or Jesus seriously. Well, you're also broad brushing by saying they. 
I'm sure there sure. are plenty of people that pick there and choose. Are, yeah, there are some people who pick and choose. I think mostly if you're going to pick and choose, you just leave the church, though. Sure. Why, why stick own. around? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why stick around? It's also very common in evangelical circles to almost smirk about the fact that the numbers of liberal mainline denominations are dwindling. Have you ever heard any of this? I mean, I don't go to groups who talk, who talk you know, about it. just like sit around to chat about this. It's pretty common. Like You're a lot of blog, no, a lot of, a lot of blog posts. Uh, you know, I see stuff on like gospel coalition or whatever. I mean, it's like, it's definitely a talking point of the evangelical church that like, look, these guys, their numbers are dwindling. Like that's proof that we have real faith and that they don't. And proof that they were backsliding. Yeah, exactly. So I have two thoughts about this, this common argument. Number one, it's sad. Because anybody who claims Jesus as Lord is a member of the body of Christ, and we should never rejoice at the pain or the conflicts that another part of the body is experiencing. Right. That should be obvious, but it's not. And number two, and this is maybe the more important point, is just because the numbers are dwindling, and by the way, they are, that's true, that has no bearing on whether or not the things they believe are true or not. It's unrelated. Right. Right? Like, here's, here's two quick examples to prove my point. Imagine a bunch of deists in 1780, around the time of the forming of America, and they're drinking and feeling all triumphant about the fact that their movement is growing so rapidly and deism is sweeping the world. Well, that didn't stick, right? Almost right. no one is a deist anymore. Or here's another example. Think of a church full of white congregants in Alabama in 1962, okay? They're in a white church and a pastor comes out and he says, guys, I support the civil rights movement. He loses two thirds of his congregation. Now at a bunch of other local churches, they get all the people who left. It's kind of like the Mars Hill moment here in Seattle, right? Right. And they go, ah, see, we shouldn't be behind the civil rights movement because our church is growing and that one's dwindling. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's just not. Right. Now it might be that the liberal mainliners are wrong, but the numbers is not an argument. It's right. a stupid argument. So let's meet... The four people that we will be hearing from this week and next week. We have two voters, Jack and Debbie Holloway. Yes, they're married. And then we have two experts, Dr. Trip Fuller, author and host of the Homebrewed Christianity podcast, and Dr. James Wellman, who is also an author of many books and is the director of the Comparative Religion Program at the University of Washington here in Seattle, and who unfortunately doesn't have his own little intro clip. So here are the other three. I'm Jack Holloway. I'm 24 years old, and I live in Brooklyn, New York. With which type of Christianity or denomination of Christianity do you identify? I consider myself Lutheran Reformed. My name is Debbie Holloway, and I am 27 years old, and I live in Brooklyn, New York. I identify as a Protestant Christian. I've attended many different denominations of churches, and I don't currently adhere to any one specific denomination, allegiance-wise, although I do attend a Lutheran church. So, Trip, do, so do you consider yourself in the mainline liberal Protestant tradition? I think so. How many so, other options are there? <laughs> well, you know, you, that's funny you should say that because that gets to a problem, which is we have these words for, you know, evangelical, white evangelical or whatever. But then there's just usually a box that says Protestant other. 
Yeah. And, and there's no way to get at the difference between just someone who does not consider themselves evangelical, which could include, for instance, a black Baptist, mm-hmm. right, who has evangelical theological beliefs or a mainline liberal Protestant like a gay-affirming Methodist who has quite different beliefs. They're all clicking the same box. Were you raised mainline? My family were Southern Baptist church planters before the Southern Baptist takeover. So the first professor to teach evolution as the means by which God created humans in America was a Southern Baptist minister who was also a professor. So like there was a time Southern Baptists were Southern, white, and academically engaged, doing historical criticism, engaging the sciences and such like that. From 1979 on, there was a slow purge. And my family was, you know, Baptist style excommunicated for really it was the gay issue was the main one. Got it? Yeah. 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 What are you, what are you thinking? I think just the whole, you could do a whole episode on just Southern Baptists. It's so loaded. It is loaded. Yeah. And that, I don't know that world super well because I didn't grow up in it, in that tradition. Um, maybe sometime we can have Trip back and just ask him about yeah, Southern Baptists. Yeah, he sounds great. So what we're going to do in this episode, especially in the first half, is we're going to kind of weave together Jack and Debbie, our voters, answers with various insights from Trip and James. And then later on, as we get to more of the nuts and bolts political questions, which a lot of that will be next week, we'll mostly just be hearing from Jack and Debbie. And then at the end, we're going to come back to Trip and Jim. I call him James and Jim interchangeably for some more analysis. Yeah, we got the- Trip. Is his name James? Is he his writing name is Dr. James Wellman, but like when I talk with him I call him Jim. So I kind of go back to, and forth. Do you just get do people just pick their own nicknames? I don't know. Do you I have a know. nickname, Dan? His email signature, it says Jim. Uh, no, I'm just Dan. And if people call me anything else that's weird except my family calls me what Daniel. What do people call you? My mom and my dad call me Daniel and my brother. And my some of my aunts and uncles and stuff, cousins. Everyone else it's Dan. Please don't try and start something else. Okay. I'll be thinking about this a lot. <laughs> okay. So the first thing to kind of get our minds around with this, with these episodes is what makes liberal mainliners different from evangelicals, right? That's, that's the idea because the reason we got this fourth group of voters, so we had the 19%, the 81% Christians of color who are not white and then non-evangelicals. So what makes them not yeah. evangelical? Exactly. What's the difference? So that's the first thing to figure out. So we'll start by asking Debbie why she does not consider herself an evangelical. But before we hear from Debbie, I need to explain what Jim is going to be talking about. So he did this giant research project about a bunch of churches in the Pacific Northwest. A bunch of them were evangelical megachurches, and then the other half were liberal mainline Protestant churches. And so when he talks about what they did or what those churches did, he's referring to the liberal or the evangelical churches in his study. So that's to give us some reference. And the name of that book is called Evangelical vs. Liberal. Here's Debbie. Well, two specific things for me come to mind when I think of evangelical. One is a big focus on converting, converting others to my particular brand of Christianity with a a deep urgency often. And then one is what I see as a very common combining certain beliefs like evangelicalism has become tied to specific political beliefs, if that makes sense. 
in the common language. Yeah, in the in the language. layman's in the layman's terms. And so I I don't fit into those commonly believed to be evangelical political boxes and my belief system does not require me to believe that I urgently convert people who do not believe the same things that I do. Liberal Protestantism is generally kind of a classic worship service and the pastor tends to preach from a liberal point of view that is how do you interpret the scriptures in light of the problems of today's political life and cultural life and they tend to be interested in certain service projects and especially homelessness that was I think the critical aspect of what they did in terms of service to those in need none of those 12 liberal churches had international missionaries they really didn't believe in missionaries and so that's a big difference. Yeah, a big difference. And they didn't really believe in converting others to Christianity. You know, they really had internalized the critique of postmodernism, that, you know, everyone had their right to their own belief system. What about your Christianity is not evangelical, such that you wouldn't consider yourself one? I do not believe that the Bible is inerrant, meaning I don't believe that the Bible is completely without error. I believe that homosexuality isn't a sin. I'm also, I'm not a Republican and I, I don't support the marriage of Republican politics and Christianity. The thing I heard growing up was the Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it. Yeah. A literal and honestly a selective reading of scripture and then, and then a dogmatic, this is what God's word is for all times, and it is the direct word of God. The Bible was written by God. Everything that it says is directly from the mouth of God. I saw a meme that was like, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, read the Bible out loud. Right. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's Yeah, so that's you don't affirm that. Yeah, so I don't affirm any of that. And that's what evangelical means to me. Something I always saw in my church surroundings reminds me of something that my mother used to tell me, which is, you're never going to agree with anyone all the way, or you're never going to agree with any organization all the way. Yeah. So you should take what's good and don't worry about what you don't agree with. You know, only absorb what's, what's useful and what you think is right, and don't expect perfection. And so I've been very happy in many organizations that I, I maybe didn't 100% hop on board with everything they represented. I ran in some circles that were very charismatic and there was a lot of outward demonstrations of that. And I saw people that I thought maybe weren't as sincere about it and people that I, I truly believed were very sincere about it. And then, you know, I would run in circles that were very, people might say, you know, more dry, more stately and, you know, condemning of those more charismatic circles. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't necessarily sure I agreed with them 100% either. So I, I've never felt ill at ease with some tension there in my religious settings or church settings, but I've always had some tension yeah. depending on where I was. How overtly political is your church environment? Very. We have two Facebook groups. Okay. 
St. Lydia's Congregants and St. Lydia's Resists Hate. And St. Lydia's Resists Hate is specifically for political mobilization and getting together and organizing and sharing information. Very leftist. Do you feel any tension with that, or does that seem to you to be as it should be? Sometimes I think a line is crossed and things are conflated that shouldn't be. But other times you have a really terrible week and then you, you go, oh God, I just, I want to hear the the church version of this. And then you go to, I go to St. Lydia's and I hear it and I go, oh God, thanks. Thank you for What do you mean by that? You mean you want to hear someone commenting on just the the sadness of the day with a Christian perspective or what do you mean? Yeah, and in a a qualitatively spiritual way mm-hmm. and connecting it to the the gospel in in a way that I think is accurate but also hopeful. You'll be okay with it. Okay, sometimes they go too far. You'd prefer that to non-political. Yeah where no one is restating the news through the lens of the gospel. I despise indifference. Mm. So if, if I had to go to a church where it was like pretending like nothing's happening, pretending like Donald Trump is not the president and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, like just pretending like everything's fine, like there's no context. I think politics provides such an important contextual frame for how the gospel is preached that if it's not spoken to at all then the gospel is not actually being preached for today but it is risky because on the other hand like that line is very difficult to toe all right ellen what do you got i see you wrote some notes well always 90 percent of my notes are just doodling yeah calligraphy and no (laughs) but just quotes that they said but something that I've been thinking about and something that was very clear after listening to these quotes is that often conservative evangelical Republicans kind of get accused of letting their faith become their politics. You yeah. Know? Yep. But then if you are a part of a liberal church and they speak about politics, then it's called activism and it's called like being mm-hmm. doing outreach and being compassionate and why is that different? Why, like, hmm. I don't, I, yeah. I see that as being really hypocritical. Well, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, one answer might be that the conservative evangelical political leaders have just a much bigger megaphone in the media than liberal Protestant leaders do. I mean, you've got like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, but people don't think of them as liberal mainline Protestants. They think of them as like, African-American Christian civil activists. rights leaders. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. For, you know, for better or for worse, that's how those people are thought of, you know, Jim Wallace of Sojourners magazine, who's been beating this drum for 30, 40 years, does not have the kind of reach that Jerry Falwell Jr. has or Franklin Graham. Right. right? So part of that is probably just public perception of like, yeah, you, and this is what Jack was talking about, right? There is a danger on the left as well to, to make your faith, your politics, uh, or make your politics your faith, which is probably even worse, right? If As long as you're starting with your faith and then it goes, I mean, that seems like a healthier flow than the other way around, but it is a difficult balance to find on either end of the spectrum. 
Yeah. And I, I think that maybe that perception difference is, is mostly down to just media coverage. And the intent is different too. I think that obviously mm-hmm. like liberal progressive Christians, their intent politically is to care about people, other people. And we've talked about this before where when we were listening to all the interviews of Trump voters versus non-Trump voters, something that stuck out to me, and it, I don't think it was intentional on anybody's part, but something that stuck out to me was that the way that the Trump voters described their faiths versus the non-Trump voters, it was very different where the non-Trump voters described the gospel rather as being a more global thing. Yeah. They talk more systematically. Yeah. And whereas the Trump voters talked more about their, their own personal things. And I think that's true with how it, how it kind of weaves into activism in the church politically, when you have a liberal church, they're talking more about, like you said, homeless outreach, stuff like Mm -hmm. that, which is really interesting. And this is something that's come up before, but it it bears repeating basically every day, which is that there are personality differences between conservative and liberal people. Right. Conservative people think think of causes as individual Mm -hmm. and liberal people think of causes as web-like and systemic. And and they, they downplay the individual element in various causes. So this makes sense, right? So you, you have a conservative saying, look, a person needs to learn to work hard. They need to learn the virtue of hard work. And I don't want to give them a handout because then they won't learn that virtue. Whereas the liberal says, look, this person is the victim of systemic poverty that is not their fault. But then just like I think Jim was saying, um, why is it the conservative evangelicals that are more missional. Why are they the ones going and building houses? And is it just because they want to spread the word of God and building houses is sort of like a, just a way to get there? I think that basically, and, and I think that Jim would agree on this is that conservative Christians, so it's known, it's been shown through a lot of data that conservative evangelicals give more time, give more money in charity work than other Americans and more than liberal Christians do of their own time and of their own resources. Now, the way I think of that is that makes sense. They think individualistically. They think I'm a Christian. The gospel requires me to be generous. So I have to contribute. It does not require the government to be generous, but it does require me to be generous. And so I'm going to help out. Whereas a liberal might go, look, I'm voting. I I'm pay marching, taxes. I'm paying my taxes. I'm trying to get this legislation passed, which will help 10 times the number of people I could help in or a theory, thousand. In theory, right. if so, it works. If it works, right. And so that's maybe the downfall of the person on the left. A is huge, do- you spend, huge downfall. Yeah, you spend so much time thinking about systemic poverty that you never go down to the homeless shelter you know, right. a mile from your house. Right. And so that's kind of the tension. And and one of the things that we'll hear from Jim in these episodes is how struck he was by evangelicals. And I'm actually, if it's not in these episodes, it'll be in, in a later one. But there's a lot from him about how he was really struck by the, the personal piety and care and generosity of the evangelicals and some of the pettiness of, of the liberals. He, he's struck yeah. by that. It's interesting to me, though, that the liberals seem to be the ones that care most about the homeless, for example, but the evangelicals are the ones actually putting the money towards. Yeah, because I mean the that's even, a yeah, really well, sort of specific way to say that. But the evangelicals 
just don't think that the government should be doing it. And so they are the only ones left to Which do it. Which is really weird it. if you think that we should have a Christian pastor. That doesn't make any sense to me. Christian president? What did I say? Pastor. I think pastor that's how they chief. think. I think that I, that's how they think of the presidents. Well, the pastor, yeah, pastor in chief of the <laughs> right. United States of make America great. It does get, it gets complicated. And, and this is really, this is really where the rubber meets the road between the two kind of approaches. I guess all I want to say in this episode is you have permission to both be a liberal Christian and to give of your own time and money. Like the whole point of this show is we need both individual and systemic solutions. We have individual and systemic problems and we have to do both things. So I think I should vote to alleviate systemic problems while I am giving of my own time and resources individually. Right. right. That's that's the best. And of course, on either side. And I don't do either. You don't do either. Okay. I well, don't help and I don't vote. <laughs> well, you have some work to do then, Ellen. Well, maybe I don't. <laughs> well, We're different and it's okay to be different in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it, sure. This is bugging you so I don't much. think you're going to have a very good argument for it. Anyway, whether or not we're going to disagree on this, let's get a little more into these differences between evangelicals and liberals. Let's dive deeper. Here's a bit more context from Trip, and then from Jim. When it goes to like science or historical criticism or those type of things, evangelicals have a uh, resistance to engaging it. They create bubbles where the only terms for engaging someone that doesn't already assume all your stuff is like having a debate or, or whatever. And mainline Protestants historically value education. Like all the Ivy League schools were invented by mainline Protestants who thought the most educated person in every town as the America expands out should be the minister. Like that's where Harvard and Yale and everybody comes from. So they were much quicker to embrace history and science. But one of the things, like I would say problems with mainline Protestants, is they have been uncritical as to whether or not to accept the metaphysical assumptions inherent in enlightenment scientific discourse. So when You're you going to have to break that down because this is not a theology podcast like well, yours, Trip. Well, what do you mean? I, just that – so a lot of mainline Protestants are – because of science and because of just being a part of the the praise team for the Enlightenment, using a computer as an image for how bodies work, right? Like that's a very popular one where people talk about hard drives and processing and information and such. I think that's an example of a reductive account of what it means to be human and a reductive account of consciousness or mind. And if you would just assume that that's an accurate description because, quote, science says it even though there are many scientific reasons to resist it, you've already flattened the world. So then the presence of the sacred and such is not necessary and probably not probable. You have a lot of agnostics with Jesus-flavored ethical convictions and such as part of mainline Protestant churches. How do each of these worlds, the liberal Protestant and the evangelical, how do they engage with secular or sort of nationwide American institutions? How, do, how differently do they engage in those? Well, on the, on the liberal side, I think they become very much like those liberal secular institutions. They admire institutions of higher learning. 
they really admire people who are objective and don't take a strong stance on anything except for social justice. These are the type of people you want living next door to you. Yeah. Because they always do the right thing. But let's say you have a mainline Protestant reporter or professor or researcher or a presidential aide. These kind of institutions, does that tend to make them better at their jobs? Yeah, no, I think they just become, you know, when in, in the world, say, they look like any liberal who's secular. Can you contrast that with evangelicals? Yeah, well, I mean, I think evangelicals in general are generally people that have a deep commitment, usually a deep affective emotional commitment to their faith. I mean, in a certain sense, you could certainly call Martin Luther King a liberal Protestant. Right. He's, but he, he had kind of an evangelical gusto to his, right. his social justice movement. And I think he believed in his heart that faith was a powerful emotional mechanism that really drew, drew him and, and really moved him. Are liberal Protestants more likely to engage with, say, the public school board? on a joint venture than evangelicals? Are evangelicals more likely to set up their own school? You know, when it comes to interaction with institutions, what are the differences? Yeah, I, I, I think evangelicals know that, that if their kids are going to be a part of a secular institution, there's not much influence they're going to have in terms of opinions and thoughts of those public, public edu- educators. And they may be a little bit leery of what the kid's going to be learning at school. So there's always a, you know, a bit of tension there. But there are also really uh, people who are willing to pitch in and help whenever they need, they're needed. Well, you have to remember that, in a sense, liberal Protestantism created the infrastructure of the 1960s, mm. 1950s. You mean the national non-religious <laughs> infrastructure? Yeah, they, they really created what we'd call a, a civil or a civic religion. You know, in mid-20th century, you'd really say that America was, had an American civil religion. It was really taken for granted that either you went to church or you certainly respected the church, whether Catholic or Protestant, and certainly as a Jew. And really, the, the Protestant establishment was the government. Barack Obama, despite what people think, was definitely a liberal Protestant. Right. I've been to the church where he went to church in Chicago. It was an African-American congregation that was charismatic in the classic sense, but deeply oriented towards social justice and had a touch of liberation theology in it. And so, you know, Barack Obama really, I think he he was deeply touched by that movement, but he didn't really express it very much in public. So let's start with Trip. Alan, you, uh, at at one point you kind of threw your hands up and said, I don't, I can't, I don't don't know what he's talking about. Oh, he lost me. Yeah, okay. So what he was saying about halfway through that quote was that, look, liberal mainliners trust science. They really believe that science is real. And yet sometimes they slip into some assumptions that just liberal people make basically since the enlightenment that 
trip thinks are false, that are reductive. They are they are not nuanced enough ways of looking at the world, looking at human consciousness, looking at the ex- the experience so of life on Earth. So he's saying that's a downfall of that's a downside. Yes, okay. as a liberal, he's saying this is a downside on our on, in our camp. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then let's talk about that long quote from Jim. What did you think of that? Well, I'm glad you asked about education, public education. Yeah. Because I think a lot about you know homeschooling is kind of back again. It's back. And most of my friends who homeschool, I would say, are evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think that is that because, and I, I don't know, I might homeschool as well. Is that innately because we don't really trust the public school system? And so we want to control, is that why we homeschool? I don't know. I mean, that I think that's why most of my friends who were homeschooled were homeschooled. When I was growing up, yeah. I don't know if that's the reason today. I, I really, I know very little about that because yeah, it would we don't be interesting because it's it's such a big deal now, and so many normal, smart, I would say, socially liberal Christians are homeschooling, and I and I wonder if it's part of what he's talking about, where evangelicals just don't really get involved with the public school system to you know, quote unquote, do their part to, you know. Well, he's saying that if they, if evangelicals do have kids in public school, they actually are really willing to volunteer their time. If they have. But that they are more likely to homeschool and set up alternative schools because they don't feel like have much of a voice in terms of curriculum. So especially if you want your kid to learn creationism and not evolution, you're going to have a really rough time. That's right. not going to happen in public That's school. That's a lot of work. I don't want to homeschool my kid just because there's going to be a blurb in a textbook. That's <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> it is. And and I think that part of the homeschool movement today is a little different. I mean, I would guess it's got to be a little different than when we were growing up because there are so many resources now. Yeah. And you might just think, I can do this more efficiently and my kid can have more time to play. Yeah. Or you might think, I think I could cram two more hours worth of work into this kid's day and they'll still have some margin. And I'd rather do that than send them off to school. I also think about now, I mean, now that I'm a mom, I think I'm her primary knowledge resource. Yeah. And I know not everybody's in the same position, but when people are really worried about sending their kids to a public school, when the kids also have a lot of Christian friends and they go to church and they're mostly at the home. It's like, what are you so afraid of? If you've instilled critical thinking skills and what you guys believe in the home, I just don't know what people are so afraid of. Well, I mean, look, dinosaurs, (laughs) some of it is that the fear center of our brain comes at the bottom of the stem. And if the fear center is working, then the rest of the brain doesn't work. So you cannot be afraid. That's a lot of science you just threw at me. You cannot be afraid and like rationally thinking through math problems at the same time. You can't do it. When you're afraid, the rest of your frontal cortex doesn't doesn't work. It's just like when we were talking um, about how on Facebook, when you're posting something, when you you believe you think you're right, you cannot intake alternative information. So there's kind of some neuroscience and all that. And, you know, we can move on from homeschooling. I... I am I one thing though that as someone who doesn't have kids yet, I'm already looking forward to kids being school age and like having a five hour break in the middle of the day of them not being home. But I also work from home, so maybe I'm more sensitive to that. Let's talk about the last thing that Jim mentioned, which is Obama. So one thing that liberal mainliners are known for is their political involvement. We heard that from Jack and Debbie earlier, very political church, two Facebook group groups, right? One is the regular church and one is the resistance. 
Oh my Facebook gosh. Group, right? And the name of that, was it Lady Lucy Liberty <laughs> Sister Resistance Church? I, I don't remember the name of the It was church. very intense. Uh, but that political involvement is the opposite of evangelical political involvement, right? So liberal mainliners are known for the peace movement in the 60s and 70s. They're known for the civil rights movement. And generally political movements that are left of center, not right of center. So earlier when we were talking about the difference between evangelicals and mainliners, we heard a bit about politics from Jack, about how political their church was. It, was, it seemed relevant. And now we're going to hear some more. We're going to hear from Debbie, and we're also going to hear from Tripp. We're going to get a bit more context and meat on the bone for this political engagement of mainline liberals. There's a number of pretty strong contrasts between, I would say, like the bell curve version of mainline Protestants and evangelicals. For example, for evangelicals, they have a largely antagonistic adversarial relationship with culture. And when we think of complaints about religion in the public square, usually it's complaints about conservative Christians having this adversarial Role Now, mainline Protestants, they have a different problem. It's just too familiar. In a sense, mainline Protestants created the cultural consensus that dominates coastal elites. I've joked when speaking at mainline Protestant congregations and stuff, I said, well, if you could all open your sacred text, uh, oh, there was only two people brought the New York Times this morning. Well, I guess you could (laughs) read the Bible. Well, my current church environment is pretty overtly political. In what sense? Yeah, so if you were to look at it from the outside, we have banners in the windows. We've got a few Black Lives Matter signs. We've got a few rainbow, like queer-friendly looking signs. Politics are often referenced in sermons. Directly? Directly referenced in sermons. I've never heard a preacher at my church implore the congregants to vote in a certain way. But I would say most of the congregation is queer in some way. It's a very affirming church. And so there's there's an understanding that most of the people there are going to have certain political views. A lot of the, the conversation in my church that involves politics just has to do with trying to do justice by Jesus in the context that everybody's in. Just in the past month, I've gone to two different marches around gun rights, and I did not see any signs by any evangelical churches where their ministers and lay leaders are walking around emphatically saying "Sure, chants about the NRA. I didn't see any of it. But I saw every mainline Protestant denomination there as mainline Protestants. Next to other religious traditions there, out of their religious traditions, who were marching next to the Raleigh Secularist Society and things. But there was, right. it, but it wasn't like they put, you know, Pullen Memorial Baptist Church sign out and that their youth minister organized the march because they were like, it seems neat. They did it because it came right out of their Christian convictions. And I know from just knowing ministers whose churches are involved in that type of activism that That has been the place a lot of people who grew up evangelical reconnect with their faith and reconnect with the congregation because they realize and discover that there are plenty of congregations and churches and a whole other stream of Protestant Christianity in America where advocating for 
right now, like gun violence in America or equitable investment in public education, because defunding of public education and the reinstantiation of segregation is a white evangelical activity. So, I mean, it's just flat racist policy. And now they probably say it because they want, you know, their kids to learn that the earth is 5,000 years old and be able to do it in a room packed full of other white evangelicals who all agree with them. But the outcome to their decisions around public education affect the poor and marginalized and create second class employment that then goes to women because they're the only people who still advocate for the ideal of a single parent income earner. The rest of the country would think that you should get paid adequately for public education. Like if you just eliminated white evangelicals on so many social issues, the rest of the country is completely different. And it just so happens those policies kill the planet, the poor, and adversely affect people of color. They may not be racist. They just do racist shit as a, what, the outcome. And so like to me, that, that's emphatic. That comes right out of my faith. That is not a judgment of them as an individual. It is just me saying the actual data of the outcomes of your policies – kill the planet, destroy the poor, and systemically oppress minorities, and you do it for Team Jesus. That, I'm pretty emphatic. I think, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that if you take the kingdom of God seriously, if you take love of your enemy seriously, care for your neighbor seriously, if you take the actual covenant to care for this life that God has given us seriously, then a lot of things change. I wonder how much of this really is personality differences because i i bet mm. if a if a jesus loving conservative evangelical republican listened to that they would be like i do care about all those things hmm. it's so interesting to me how well how yeah different so there's two areas there. there there's two lines of thought right one is trip is is either right or wrong that the way that white evangelicals tend to vote actually kills the planet and the hurts poor the poor and, and whatever right. And then there's the question of people knowing that that's the case or right. believing that that's the case, whether or not it is the case. So he's trying to say, and he's got pretty fiery. Obviously, he's a, a man who's preached some sermons in his yeah. life. He is an ordained minister. You know, Tripp's saying that like it, this is just the facts. Like, I have seen the data and this is what happens. And they're being complicit. And well, how are and they? He's, but he's, he's also saying, I'm not judging people individually. I don't think that they're sitting around hoping that these things will happen. Although certain evangelicals don't care what happens to the earth because they think God's going to burn it up in the next few years in the end times. Yeah, but I think he is judging a little bit because if you're going to claim that there are people that are making decisions that are killing the poor and the planet and negatively affecting minorities, but I'm not judging them. Of course he is. He totally is. Well, I think, yeah. So I I shouldn't speak for him, but also I do want to kind of give him. Maybe he doesn't want to. But that's different than actually judging. Yeah, I mean, he. I don't know what he is thinking in his heart. I also mostly agree with him. I'm not <laughs> judging Trip. I mean, I, I think that he's saying, look, there's a lot of ignorance about these kind of voting patterns. But this is what actually happens. And But I, I think that he is he is speaking harshly of like, that's why he says, I am emphatic. He's saying, look, you're a Christian. Right, it doesn't make sense. And you do need to care for the poor and care for the earth and... It, it is your responsibility to look into this stuff. I and think that's what think, he's saying. And I think the, the evangelical conservatives would say we are in our own way in a different way. I think yeah. that that's where the, the miscommunication comes down to. So 
Something that came up in my conversation with Jack was this worry that liberal Christians raising their kids to be politically minded and liberally politically minded theoretically might be making the same mistake that Jack or I would say that our parents made by raising us to be good little Republican evangelicals and sort of slapping a Jesus sticker on everything coming out of the GOP. So couldn't this happen on the left? Yeah, I think it already is. Well, possibly. And here's me talking with Jack about it. It's funny because what happens when our kids grow up in that church environment? I mean, our generation often grew up in an environment where Republican politics were conflated with Christianity. Is there a danger that, you know, your kids or your, you know, kids in your congregation will grow up with the view that democratic politics are conflated with Christianity? Is it the same risk? What do you think about that? I think it's certainly a similar risk. Qualitatively, it's different. I'm not saying that Democratic Christians are better than Republican Christians, because I'm not saying that at all. But in leftist Christian circles, they err on the side of the Christian thing to do is to represent the oppressed and the downtrodden, etc., the poor. And they always err on that side, which means if they're going to err, it's going to be conflating the gospel with what they think is their particular version sure. of, of representing the oppressed. Yeah. And on the other end, the danger is... When you conflate it with Republican politics. Then it's like, oh, God is for the war on drugs, or God is for police brutality, or, or God is for Donald Trump. Yeah. Now, I will say that it's the danger is certainly the same when it comes between, is there a leftist Christian sanction for Hillary Clinton. I encountered that at Union Theological Seminary where I I go. There were people that was like, it's your Christian duty to vote for Hillary Clinton. And they they have no... Which is a mirror of what we grew up with, George Bush or whatever. Yeah. I would have a problem with people saying it's your Christian duty to vote for Bernie Sanders. Hmm. Even though you like Bernie. Even though I like him. Evangelicals see a pluralistic world as a mission field. And mainline Protestants see it as neighbors they want to bless and be blessed by. It's a mutually transforming type of engagement rather than, you know, winning them for Jesus or whatnot. And then even the picture of salvation for evangelicals tends to be more individualistic. And they actually lose sleep about eternal conscious torment. Yeah, yeah. The mainline Protestants, it's a more communal image. And salvation's a more participatory understanding, like... If a mainline Protestant says, like, God has reconciled the world to God's self in Christ, and then almost immediately they're going to say, and we're ambassadors of that reconciliation. And our community of faith is what? Like a, an embassy of God's yeah. universal reconciling love. And you don't – that's not the natural tendency in more evangelical environments. I don't think we can be indifferent. It's not like a legalistic you have to go out and protest or something, but – you have to understand that you will be held accountable for how you acted politically. And the standard is looking for Jesus. And you're not going to find Jesus oppressing people in the oppressors. You're going to find Jesus in the oppressed. What do you think, Ellen? Do you think that people who are oppressing people think that they're oppressing people? Well, And I'm talking about this group of people. Not, you mean voters or CEOs about, or what do you mean? I'm talking about Christian evangelical voters. I mean, what I'm hearing is a lot of like these voters don't realize 
that they're hurting the marginalized. Yeah. No, I don't think that the average, for instance, evangelical Republican voter does think that they are contributing to oppression. I think that they think that they are actually voting to make the country better for the unborn, better for everybody, because maybe they have a view that it's actually really bad if you develop government dependence on welfare or something. Right. So Which they, is, I, I would submit to say that that's a really valid, logical point of view. Yeah. So some people have put forward kind of third way alternatives that are neither government everything or government nothing that are like using churches and charities and using non-governmental organizations that are already doing good work. And those are kind of policy discussions. And so it's, it's not so simple, of course, as to vote for the Democratic candidate means you love the poor and to vote for the Republican candidate means you hate the poor. Uh, but what Tripp and Jack are saying is like, look, if you have to err on one side, you should err on the side of caring for the poor. That's what the Christians should do. And yeah, sometimes the government might waste some money. And yeah, sometimes the government might create some dependence. But the world sees you and they say, you are on the side of the bankers and the CEOs and the oil companies who are trying to have no environmental regulations and increase their profits. You are on the side of the wealthy, of the oppressors. And so what Tripp and Jack want to say is, that's not a good look because that's not a Christ-like look. Yeah, but who cares about the look? Well, I don't know. That I mean, that's a good question. But you might ask yourself, if you're conservative, how confident am I that the things I'm voting for are really better for the country? Because right. what I'm showing the rest of the country is that I'm aligned with big business and, you know, pharmaceutical right. companies and whatever and, and billionaires. And so I might think that that's going to somehow get back to the regular people, but if, I don't know, maybe you it's know a PR I problem, I think it's interesting when there are uh, evangelical conservative economists. Yeah. That, because what we're talking, what a lot of what we're talking about comes down to that. Right. And, and of course, there are conservative economists, right, who would say, look, I actually want something that's better for everybody right. here. This is what I'm putting forward. And I think that that's probably... And I don't think that that's oppressive is what I'm saying. Well, right. And they would certainly say it's not oppressive. I think that where it gets particularly bad is when you have that combined with inflammatory rhetoric against immigrants and refugees. It's very simple for the rest of America to go, oh, they don't care about the poor. I hope it's clear I'm being a little bit of a devil's advocate. That's fine. No, that's good. This is the good conversation to have. I mean, th these are difficult. These are really difficult things. And, and it's also difficult to know... What percentage of it is a public relations problem and how much ought we to care about public relations problems? I mean, you could make the argument that who cares? It will work out in the end. History will show that this was better or something like that. Right. And the short-term PR problem is not as bad as the long-term PR problem, right. right? So that's complicated. But one thing that I have been kicking around that I, I personally find pretty compelling is, okay, but if I have to choose in an uncertain situation... I, it, it might be better to choose to side with the poor, even if it's imperfect, even if it means adding to, you know, government Why spending do you think or something. That is, is, do you think it's because that's the right thing to do? And what are you giving up in that decision? Well, first of all, I'm not giving up anything because I'm a middle-class white guy who owns my but house. But for you personally, so. voting on a policy that will benefit the poor, mm -hmm. that's what you want to err on. Yeah. So like someone might say, let's remove paid school lunches 
because we should save the government money and the parents should be providing for their kids. I'm, I'm, and this might just be kind of an easy straw man thing where almost nobody thinks we should remove free lunch for poor kids, but I've met people who've said that. Oh, I'm sure there are. And I would say, okay, like that's not the place to cut money. Like I will advocate for the free lunches for the poor children. You know, that's, let's keep that or, you know, reducing transit costs for, to make it such that we have fewer cars on the road. Right now we've got all these teachers striking because they make shit. Yeah. And they're having to buy all of their own yeah. school supplies and all these for, this stuff for their kids. And I heard somebody in the Senate today saying, teachers make enough. I wish that they would just like hmm. get back to work. Yeah. So in that case, I would want to err on the side of it, the teachers. Because I know I have many friends who personally spend more than $1,000 a year on supplies for their own wild. classroom. It's yeah. wild to me that we talk so much about needing skill. I think Trump just last week, two weeks ago, said we need more skilled workers in America, Mm. but we're not going to invest in the people to teach those work. Yeah. The skills. There's obviously a bit of It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, I'm no policy expert. A lot expert. of things on the sh- this show does, don't make sense <laughs> to me, Dan. <laughs> I'm no policy expert. And I think maybe school lunches was a bad example because it's, it's so obvious. Maybe a better one would be, should we generally give the EPA power to restrict companies from polluting the world from, or our shores or whatever? And someone might say, no, the EPA wastes money. It's government bureaucracy. Get it out of there. Let people we have free market. We should do it market. ourselves by getting out on canoes. Well, whatever. I would say, no, I, I'd far rather err on the side of wasting some money on the EPA and like not ruining a watershed area. That would be my view. Like err on the side of protecting the earth, err on the side of caring for the poor. I'd rather be too generous on accident. Do you think that that makes you feel good? It, told, it makes me feel so righteous Have you seen so the episode of Friends yeah. where they... Um, I don't remember who it was, but they challenged Phoebe, maybe it was Joey, challenged Phoebe that she could not do a good deed Mm -hmm. and not feel good about it. A totally selfless (laughs) deed. Yeah. So that Friends episode is basically about uh, groundwork on the metaphysic of morals by Immanuel Kant. My God, I thought this was going to be fun. (laughs) Where he says there's no such thing as a selfless action unless you think that there's no afterlife and you literally die in the process. So there's nothing totally selfless in this life. Mm-mm. I mean, if you think that well, you... Well, and the episode proved it <laughs> okay. because she donated to PBS, but then she told everybody she donated to PBS. There you go. She blew it. She's, she blew it. Now, some of you are listening to this and you're thinking, these people are crazy. I cannot imagine these people being Christians. This is not my world. But some of you are listening and thinking, this, these are my people. These are the best kind of Christians. Ellen, can you please place yourself on that continuum? Um, first of all, Dan, you are the latter. Uh, I, I have my... Because you love poor people. I, I do like... I like liberal Christians, but and I do you like have going my concerns. to marches. I have Conservative my concerns. Christians do not go to marches except for the March for Life. I have I've been to one march, yeah, and I did bring a, and I brought an American flag. So which I think everyone was probably confused by. <laughs> no, that's exactly what we should be doing. Anyway, I I am I am in the middle on this. You want to know where I'm? Where I I'm land. curious if you thought uh, this is craziness, or if you thought oh, there's something there, or if you thought these guys are amazing. I'm curious. Here's what I think. I think my heart lands with these people. Mm-hmm. I think that logically I'm just sort of all over the place. Okay. That's fair. That's great. So does that make me a better person than you? 
<laughs> there are a lot of things that probably make you a better person than me. I don't know if that's like one that. of that's them. That's good. So next week, we're going to be considering a question that you might be thinking about already. Are these people really Christians? What do they think about Jesus? What do they think about the Bible? We're going to hear more from Trip, more from Jim. But right now I want to talk about some action steps. So for those of you who are listening who say, this actually sounds pretty great. I've, I want to try one of these communities out. Here's some information. So if you want to read or listen to some stuff, for the theologically minded folks who were not lost by what Tripp was saying, you should check out his podcast, Homebrewed Christianity. Uh, it's great. He's also the producer, but not the host of another show called Homebrewed Culture Cast, which is a bit more pop culture social justice issues. They talk about Britney Spears. Yeah. That kind of stuff. <laughs> or, you know, they talk about prisons and, you know, it's not all theology from a progressive Christian perspective. That's called Homebrewed Culture Cast. And then some books, The Bible Tells Me So by Peter Enns is a great and accessible intro to reading the Bible in a more mainline fashion. Also, I thought you were just going to say The Bible, the which Bible is also is a great, great resource. It'll be in our show notes. <laughs> uh, a New Kind of Christianity by Brian McLaren. Not to be confused with his other book, A New Kind of Christian. This is a different book, New Kind of Christianity. Also a good starting point. I also texted Tripp and he gave me a couple more book ideas. He said, duh, dude, my book, Homebrewed Guide to Jesus by Tripp Fuller, which is on my shelf. Haven't read it yet, but Tripp's amazing. I love his writing. What does this guy look like? He looks like me kind of, but with longer hair. Yeah. Huh. He's kind of bigger I've guy. Got, such a- Beard. Character in my mind for Trip. <laughs> yeah, he is a character. Uh, he also recommended Diana Butler Bass, People's History of Christianity, or Marcus Borg's Heart of Christianity. Now, if you want to find a church, and don't laugh here, Ellen. I'm <laughs> The best myself. way to find a church like this is to go to gaychurch.org. That is oh the actual website. But that hold on. That sounds like a dating website. Okay, but hold on. Look. It might not be, it doesn't need to be the case that like gay affirmation is your big issue. The reason that this website is so helpful though, is that churches like that tend to be more of this ilk. So if you find a gay affirming church, it's probably got the other stuff that you're looking for. There are a lot of churches listed on gaychurch.org. I'm going to say that as many times as I can. There are 268 (laughs) in the state of Washington and there's even a hundred in Iowa. So really you could live anywhere in America. You know why? It's because gays... Love the poor, the pores, since we're pluralizing. That might be it. Now, Gays if you're love the pores. Now, if you're uncomfortable, maybe like Ellen with going full on progressive, and I'm, hey, I'm wait a second, of, I'm kind of with you. Don't, don't, I'm not judging. You can look for congregations near you that are called Methodist, Lutheran, Anglican, Church of Christ, or Episcopal, and they may or may not be on gaychurch.org, and may or may not be like full on, full blown progressive. So here's, that's, ha- here's how I, here's how I gauge it. If I drive by a church, which there are a lot of now in Seattle, yeah. depending on how large the rainbow flag is, <laughs> yeah. that's how I know how affirming they are. If they've got We're a little so sticker affirming. in the window huh. by the door, it's okay. like, okay, cool. You know, it's kind of like under the radar, safe space, safe for space. You, but not going to be our but flag. If, if they've repainted the wall, the, the outdoor to be a rainbow. Yeah. That's just... You think it's too far? It's about six months away from turning into a club. (laughs) I don't know how much of that is theological and how much of that is aesthetic, but we will see you guys next week for more with our liberal mainline Protestants. As we said, we've got Tripp's book, Homebrewed Christianity Guide to Jesus, Tripp Fuller, and Jim's book, Evangelical versus Liberal, Dr. James K. Wellman. 
all that stuff will be in the notes as well as the podcasts and websites and books that I just mentioned. And be careful when going to gaychurch.com that you don't just click on whatever. Make sure you really look at what you're about to click on. .org. So first of oh, all, I'm glad I said that. Don't then. go to gaychurch.com. I don't know what awaits you there. Oh, I can't wait to find out as soon as this is over. Okay, we're going to stop. We'll see you next week. So, liberal, mainline, Protestant church. We got it? Yep. Great. Wait. Yep. Yeah? Yeah. So, this is awesome so far. I'm really enjoying this. All right. That's great. Let's just... (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Back to you, Jim. That was the stupidest thing I think I've ever said on a microphone. Thanks, Dan. I'm really enjoying it. Any more Uh, wine?